you know, my best friend tells this story that is fitting for a sermon series this week entitled Anticipation. And he tells a story about a village that was out west that was basically starving from lack of rain. Crops were dying, no irrigation, and this is, I guess, maybe before the time where people could just, you know, go get water and it was just fine. And he said that the whole village had decided to come together to pray, to ask God to send rain because they would not survive if there was no rain. So as a result, they all gathered in this huge field and they said, it doesn't matter what God you pray to, it doesn't matter what religion, just come to this field and pray that we receive rain so that we all will survive. So as they were all out there, they noticed a very interesting sight. And that sight was as they were kneeling and agonizing and tears were falling down their faces as they were pleading with God, they saw a young girl in the middle of the field. She wasn't praying. And they said, what is wrong with that young girl? And so one, you know, older woman turned to another older woman. Who's, whose daughter is that? Whose granddaughter is that? And why isn't she praying? So finally, someone walked over to her and they said, excuse me, young lady, why aren't you praying? What are you doing with that umbrella? And she says, well, you guys are praying, but I came expecting rain. And if it rains, you're going to want to have an umbrella. Can you say amen? amen? So as a result, she was there because she was anticipating that rain would come. She wasn't there hoping that rain would come. She wasn't there believing possibly that rain would come. She was there anticipating that rain was going to come. And in her anticipation, she brought an umbrella, not kneeling pads to pray on. She brought an umbrella. And as we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, it is not enough for us to come simply to say, you know, I'm going to come to these meetings, I'm going to come to listen to these messages, and I'm going to pray that God gives me the Holy Spirit. You and I must be anticipating that because we come together to study this particular promise of the Father, that we are anticipating that the Holy Spirit will fall upon us, and in falling upon us, he will fill us, and in filling us, he will empower us to win souls. As a result, I begin this series with the theme, Anticipation, as we shall end it. Which is, by the end, I pray and hope that you, like the Holy Spirit, will be in eager anticipation. During this week, we will be exploring three themes, three messages. Tonight's message is Anticipation Part 1. We'll be talking about the Spirit and Creation. On Wednesday, we'll deal with Anticipation Part 2. We'll talk about the Spirit and the Cross. And on Friday, we will deal with the Spirit and the Coming of Christ. Anticipation Part 3. And I want to show you that the Spirit of God is a spirit of anticipation. Intense anticipation. So in anticipation of this message, let us pray and invite his presence to be with us and guide us through the word of God. Spirit of the living God, you have inspired the word 
And now we pray that you would give the word life and power. We pray, Lord, that you would give this man who is but dust in your sight, the tongue of the learned, that he may speak a word in season to one who is weary. We pray, Father, that you would use him and that you would speak through him and that you'll speak to him. Father, we are all in need of this great gift. And as a result, we ask, no, we anticipate that by the end of this week of prayer, we will be different people. We'll be different souls. Our words will have a different power. Our lives will have a different influence. And this community will have a different life because of our presence. This is our prayer. And we trust that you will help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to begin in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I am a firm believer that there is enough preaching and there needs to be a lot more teaching in Bible study when it comes to sermons. People can preach anything, preach the newspaper, preach a nice phrase, preach a book, preach philosophy, preach politics. But as we will look at a little bit later in this message, it is important that we teach people how we arrive at the conclusions we arrive at in the Bible. Many people say, I believe that, I heard it, it was inspiring, but I don't know necessarily how you got there. And maybe we don't disagree with the point, but I believe it's important that the Spirit of God guides us into truth. And that's a step-by-step process. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. From the very beginning of the Bible, we are introduced to a God who was there in the beginning. And in order for God to be there in the beginning, he had to pre-exist the beginning. Not only did he have to pre-exist the beginning, in order for God to create the heavens and the earth, God must not be the heavens and the earth. Does that make sense, what I just said? In other words, pantheism is not true based on the Bible. God is not in the acorn. God is not the acorn. God is not you. God is not me. God is not the tree because God created those things. Can you say amen? And because God created those things, he is separate from them. He has pre-existed them. And not only has he pre-existed them, the Bible introduces us in verse 2 to another character, the Spirit of God. And as a result, the Bible has already given us more than one person. Besides the fact that the name God in the original language is the the word, it comes from the word Elohim. Can you say that word? Elohim. I want you to remember it because Elohim is plural. It is not singular. It is assumed from the very beginning that God is many. That sometimes there is more to one than what we can actually understand. So when we say one God, maybe there's more to one than what we are actually able to perceive. And as a result, the Bible clues us in even a little bit later in verse 26 when God says, let us. 
If God is singular, he wouldn't say us. He would say, let me. Can you say amen? But let's dive in more specifically to our situation. The Bible says in verse 2 that the earth was without form and void. In the original language, this is the phrase tohu wabohu. Can you say that? Tohu wabohu, right? Without form and void. Now, this is very interesting because, you know, I tell people that in order to remember this phrase, just think of tofu, right? It has no form and it has no flavor. You can't just serve plain tofu, amen? And as a result, when you think tohu wabohu, you think tofu. This thing is without form and void. It has no flavor. So in, in the original creation story, the, the Bible is talking about a situation where God has made the heavens and the earth, but he didn't do it all at once. He's created this formless mass. And not only is it formless, and, and, and what the phrase is suggesting and intimating is chaotic. It doesn't have any rhyme or reason. There is no order to the situation. It's just a big mess. But not only is it just a big mess, the Bible says, and darkness was covering it. And in this darkness that is covering it, we are introduced to what a young Hebrew boy would be introduced about his God. And that is the fact that God doesn't mind starting with chaos. God doesn't mind dealing with situations of darkness. Not only is God not uh, afraid of dealing with it, God is not afraid of the dark. One thing to teach our kids, Jesus is not afraid of the dark. The Holy Spirit is not afraid of the dark. And even though the world was without form and void, i.e. it was in chaos, this means that situations that make no sense, situations that we cannot see ourselves out of, may be described as what the world was before God touched it. And if we want to know what our life will become, if we remove God from it, we just need to look at verse 2. If you remove the works of God from the earth, it will be without form and void. And even that chaos was created by God. If you remove him. And so as a result, it is not just for the Hebrew child to learn about his God and know that, you know what? Son, daughter, the God that you worship is not afraid of chaos. The God that you worship is not afraid of darkness. Even though you can't see through your situation, even though you can't make sense of your life, of your past, or of your present, or even of your soon-coming future, because please believe, chaos is not just for sinners. It's also for saints. It is not just the holy people, the unholy people, excuse me, that go through problems. People who serve Jesus go through problems. People who give their tithe sometimes struggle financially. People who decide to come to church every week sometimes suffer physical ailments. People who have been vegetarian all their lives somehow end up with cancer. People who follow the rules of the road somehow end up in a motorcycle accident. And as a result of this, this is not just for the sinner. It is also for the saint. And it's trying to teach us from the very beginning, that this condition of the earth was also prophetic in its significance. That in the Bible, it tells us in the book of Isaiah, I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 8. We will come back to Genesis. But in Isaiah, in the 8th chapter, we are introduced to this theme of darkness as being upon the earth. 
of referencing to a situation before Jesus has come. In Isaiah, in the 8th chapter, beginning in verse 22, and then we're going to go into chapter 9, the Bible says, Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You see, the Bible is reminding us, brothers and sisters, that when people are selling three and four-year-old children for sexual pleasure, darkness is upon the face of the earth. When you come to a place where keeping Sunday, people are thinking they're doing the will of God, darkness is upon the face of the earth. I was just talking to an elder and he was telling me how he passed on a piece of paper to a man. And it said, things you should tell your son as a father. And the man looked at the list and he said, on one of them, it says, tell your son that God created him for a purpose. And the father said, I can't tell my son that because I don't believe it myself. That's how you know that darkness is upon the face of the earth. When a father cannot teach his own son that God created him for a purpose. Because he doesn't believe it himself. I remember I knocked on a door, going door to door in Michigan. And a man came to the door, piercings all over his body, markings all over his face. Nails were painted black, black lipstick, black everything. And as we were conversing at the door, the student that I was working with, she was afraid because the guy told her, I'm a Satan worshiper. So she stepped back. She's like, called on the radio. I need assistance. I'm like, sister, you need to call on the Lord. <laughs> what am I going to do? So we, we're walking up to the door. She's like, Sebastian, wait, we should stop and pray. Sister, listen, the Lord is with us. <laughs> okay, fine, let's pray. She's trembling in her boots because this guy says he worships the devil. It is a shame that people fear the power of the devil more than they fear the power of God. So as a result, we go to the door. I'm conversing with this man. And this man tells me, he says, Sebastian, you know, you're serving the Lord. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I appreciate that and I respect that. And I used to do that. But she says, you know, eventually I knew that as I was serving Jesus, I was going to have problems in my life. That the devil was going to try to make a muck out of my life. And eventually I just got tired. And I decided that if I stop fighting the devil, maybe he'll leave me alone. Maybe he'll just get up out of my life and I won't have any problems. So ever since I crossed the line and became a Satan worshiper, now I have no problems in my life. But you, as you're serving the Lord, as, as you're going about your merry way and doing the Lord's business, God bless you. But just know, you know, I know you're going to have challenges in your life. The devil's going to fight you. And I said, listen, brother, you can either choose one or the other to be against you. And if God be, be against you, who in the world can be for you? He said, I understand. I understand. He said, don't pray for me. Pray for my children. Can you imagine? When a father is worshiping Satan. And the children have to live in that house. Darkness is upon the face of the earth. 
when church members chalk the driveways of homosexuals and throw burning bottles into churches that allow them into fellowship, darkness is upon the face of the earth. But the blessing of the fact that there is darkness upon the face of the earth, <laughs> the Bible says the Spirit of God was right in the midst of the darkness. Because not only was darkness upon the face of the earth, the Bible says the Spirit of God was on the face of the waters. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. You see, as soon as the Hebrew boy is learning about his God here from Genesis 1, he is gaining insight into the reality that even when life is in chaos, even when there is darkness, not only in my life, but darkness on the earth, the Spirit of God is moving. The Spirit of God is moving. And He's not just moving at a distance. Listen, when the Bible says there in verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What do you understand by the word face? The surface of the waters. This is how close the Holy Spirit is. And so for many of us, even though we're going through situations we don't see our way out of, even though we're dealing with problems that we're thinking to ourselves, this makes no sense, God. God, why would you allow this? Why would you lead me in this way? Why would you tell me to go left only to discover the very reason I went left ends up falling through the cracks? And we're wondering, why is God allowing these things? And yet we may feel that the Spirit of God is far from us. But the Bible says from the beginning, and God says, I change not. And if I was there over a formless planet, what would make us think that the Spirit of God would not be hovering over our own lives? What would make us think that the Spirit of God is far from me because I feel like he's far from me? I am so thankful that emotions are not a gauge for reality. Can you say amen? Because if it's based on how I feel, life is going to be a rough journey. Because sometimes you just ate pizza too late. Sometimes your husband's just getting on your nerves. It ain't got nothing to do with reality. It's just an emotion. So the Bible says the Spirit of God was hovering, but there's more to that word hovering than meets the eye. You see, in, in the original language, it is in an intensive form of the verb. I, I don't want to get into all the details of Hebrew. But I want to show you a verse that mirrors the exact verses that we are reading. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy and the 32nd chapter. Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to begin in verse 9. And in Deuteronomy 32 and verse 9, the Bible says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. You see, 
in verse 10 where the Bible says he found him in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. That is the same phrase in Hebrew that I just taught you. Do you remember what that phrase was? Tohu, wabohu, exact same phrase. And God is saying, you know what? He's talking about the Israelites who are now in the wilderness journeying to the promised land. And he says, do you know where I found my people? I found them in chaos. And we all know where he found them. He found them in Egypt. He found his people under the lash of an Egyptian whip. He found them broken down under the burden of the bricks and the stones of Egypt. And over the graves of pharaohs. That's where he found them. He found them with a cry that reached unto his ears. That he told Moses, I have heard the affliction of my people. And God says, the same condition of the earth before he made it was the same place where he found his people. And not just his people then, his people today. Every person in this room, this is where the Lord found you. He found you in a waste howling wilderness. He found you with your life in shambles and in chaos. And in the words of C.S. Lewis, we must be thankful that love produces humility. Because he says it, it, it's so fascinating that when it's time to turn to God, why is it? Right, That we are ready to surrender our life to God when our life is not worth keeping. In other words, no sense putting up the white flag, I surrender, when your ship is already sinking. Can you say amen? But this is exactly what we do. All of a sudden, when life is good, paychecks coming in, bills are paid, having great entertainment, personal time, no problems around, we're not interested in God. We don't want to give our life when it's going well to God. But when things start falling apart, stuff starts not working out. When there's more month than money, then we're like, we need to turn to the Lord. And God is like, so let me get this straight. Now that your life is broken down, falling to pieces, now you want to give me your life? You want to give me your broken down, busted, not functioning, malfunctioning life? And the love of God says... I'll take it. Even when Manasseh, 50 years in rebellion against God, in the slave cell of an Assyrian dungeon, chained with piercings in his nose, the king, even this man, God says he will accept him. Even when Nebuchadnezzar refused in his pride, seven years as a madman, when he came to know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men, God restored him, the Bible says. Because God says, I'll take your broken life. That's how much he wants us. This is how desperate he is to save. And this was already illustrated from the creation story. That people think God doesn't want broken down. God doesn't want darkness. God doesn't want chaos. God doesn't want things that aren't making any sense. My life has no rhyme or reason. Guess what? You're wrong. That's where God started. And that's where he found us. And you know, the word found is an encouraging word. Because that means he was looking. That means he was looking. It didn't say he stumbled upon us. He didn't trip over our trials. He didn't stumble across our praise. The Bible says he found us. 
because he was searching. But this is where it gets interesting. In Deuteronomy 32, in verse 11, it says, as an eagle stirs up her nest and hovers over her young. That word hovers is the same as what the Holy Spirit is doing in creation. But here's the experience. There was a theologian that wanted to observe this in nature. He's like, you read about it in the Bible, but I've never seen it in nature. So he went out following eagles. And he said he saw it one time. And he says, what happens is the mother eagle, the nest is about four feet wide. Three feet deep is the nest. It took her a long time to build that nest. And after the, the baby eaglets get to a certain age, she's like, it's time for you to fly. So she starts tearing up the nest because, you know, four feet wide, three feet deep. That's a nice little condo. You can live in that for a while. And mother eagles coming home with the food all the time. <laughs> Things are good. So mother eagle says, OK, this, this baby eagle is not going to learn to fly. So she starts tearing up the nest. Then after she tears up the nest, she's kicking the baby eagle off the cliff. And the baby eagle's like, what in the world are you doing? Starts falling. And what happens is the mother eagle starts hovering over her young. And she wants to see, is he going to start flapping his wings? And if he falls to a certain height, she's always watching him. She's actually waving and moving in anticipation. Will this baby eagle fly or will he start plummeting? And if he does, she's ready to move, to swoop him on her wings and carries him on her wings. So you ever heard the phrase on eagle's wings? And God says, this is exactly what I did to you. Stirred up the nest. That's why some of us, life got a little crazy before we gave our life to Jesus. Things were going great. Then all of a sudden, problems started pouring in. Jesus stirring up the nest. Then we start falling, but the whole time, like a mother eagle, Jesus' eyes have never left us. He wants to see. And when he fears that we're just going to plummet to our very death, he swoops down and catches us on his wings. But you see, this is what is illustrating the Holy Spirit. That this mother eagle is watching her baby eagle with eager anticipation. She's flapping, she's swooping, she's watching. Nothing else can distract her at this particular moment. And so when the Bible says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, what the Bible is trying to communicate to you and to me, that the Holy Spirit wasn't just over the waters like this, just hanging out. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit was waiting. He was shaking in anticipation of something. Any other person reading the text who may understand Hebrew would get this. They're like, why is he shaking in anticipation? What is he expecting to happen? And you and I may ask that question. Why is the Spirit shaking in anticipation in verse 2? Because the Holy Spirit is waiting on the word. Because the very next verse says, and God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. 
it seems to suggest to you and to me that the Holy Spirit was excited and shaking in anticipation to participate in creation. That he actually has a role. It's not just the Father, not just Christ or the Word, but also the Spirit. We've never ever seen it this way. We just read verse 2 and we move on. And we say, how does God create? By his word. And Psalm 33 corroborates this. He commanded it and it stood fast. He spoke and it was done. But how was it done? By the spirit. You think, okay, Sebastian, maybe you're stretching. Let's go to Psalm 104. I just want to show you this. Psalm 104. The Holy Spirit was definitely participating in creation. Psalm 104. I want to start in verse 24. The Bible says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things both small and great. There the ships sail about, there is that Leviathan, which you have made to play there. These all wait for you, that you may give them their food in due season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, and they are filled with good. You hide your face, and they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth, what? Your spirit, and they are what? Created. You send forth your spirit and they are created. You see, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters because he was excited about the implementation of the plan of creation. He was shaking in anticipation. So anticipatory was the spirit. So excited that he wasn't standing back. He was standing over the face of the waters. He was right there. Just waiting. And all he's saying is, just speak the word. Just speak the word. And I suggest to you that the Holy Spirit was going to partner together with the word of God to bring about creation. And this has always been the case throughout the Bible. But we apply it to other areas, just not to creation. The spirit is a life-giving spirit. I'll take that one amen. It is a life-giving spirit. And as a result of that, when the, when the spirit is coming with the word, and these are the words of Ellen White, the preaching of the word has no effect or power if not coupled with the Holy Spirit. This is why people read the whole book and are no different. Because it's not the ink on the page. The Holy Spirit is what takes the word and brings it into reality. He is the one that says, when it says, let there be light, he produces exactly what the word says. So as a result of this, people may look and say, this is what the Bible says. When it, when it looks at there and it says, you are accepted in the beloved. The way that I'm going to get that verse to be my experience is by the Holy Spirit. The way I'm going to look at the text and it says, add to your faith diligence. And add to your diligence, patience, and add this to brotherly love. The only way I'm going to experience that verse in my life 
is by the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm now jumping to my message on Friday. But when we understand this very reality, I want to suggest tonight that I believe that we ought not to doubt that the Holy Spirit is shaking in eager anticipation over your home. And you know what he's waiting for? The word. Ellen White says she was afraid to stay in a home that did not have family worship. She was afraid. Whenever me and my wife struggle to open the Bible together, we remember that. Sister White would not want to stay at your home. She's like, these people don't pray and worship together as a family? And guess what? Where the promise of the Holy Spirit is little appreciated, there is little power. Where there is little power, there is little change. So when we start off in saying, don't doubt that the Holy Spirit isn't shaking in eager anticipation over your bedroom, waiting for you to open the word. Don't doubt that he's hovering over your home, waiting for you and I to sit down with our children and to worship Christ. In eager anticipation. Why? Because once the word comes, then he can move. But other than that, he's just on the face of the waters. He's just like that mother eagle, just swooping, moving, completely shaking. Please just open the word. Just give me the word and I'm ready. But I also don't want us to doubt that the Holy Spirit was also shaking in eager anticipation over this church. You see, the Holy Spirit has been here not just tonight, but every night and every Sabbath. He's shaking in eager anticipation, waiting for the word to be preached. And we need to be clear on the fact that in creation, it wasn't prima scriptura. See, there's this thing going around called prima scriptura as if it is sola scriptura. There are two different things. Prima scriptura says the word is first. That's what prima means. But there's also experience and there's also tradition and there's church policy and all these. No, 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 no. It's not prima scriptura. It's sola. That means the word only. Holy Spirit doesn't do anything with church manual policies. Holy Spirit is not waiting for the committee to say, hey, you know what? This is what tradition has it. This is what we've always done. No, no. The Spirit works and moves when he hears the word of God. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? And too often we wonder why the one church that we preach about that is the most dangerous church is the church that does not live by the word of God. That's why it's dangerous. That's why it's antichristos in the place of Christ. The system in place of the word. Because if you reject the living word, you will definitely reject the inspired word. Amen. They go hand in hand because one testifies of the other. So as a result, we may wonder and say, well, if the Holy Spirit is shaking in eager anticipation over our congregation, no wonder Paul told Timothy, preach the word. No wonder in the book of Amos, God said, I saw a time coming where there would be a famine in the land. Not for bread, not for water, but for the word of God. And it is unfortunate that churches lack power because the pulpit is not preaching the word. And that's why the Spirit can do nothing. It must be biblical, Bible-based. 
Just the word. And this is why, as R3, as a ministry, we firmly believe everything we do, every time we teach, every time we preach, everywhere we go, every decision we make, we want a thus say of the Lord to support it. It doesn't matter that Sebastian is the president. It doesn't matter that I'm the founder. I am so happy that my vice chair will check me in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Oh, you know, I think we should do this. Brother, I was just reading in the spirit of prophecy. And Ellen White was referencing Matthew chapter 11. You may want to go back and look at that. Praise God. Because I know my success is in my simplicity. And as soon as I depart from this and conform my methods to the minds of other people, and I depart from the word, my power is gone. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter how well you speak. Herod was a good speaker. He was not a preacher. He may please crowds, but he will never baptize 3,000. And just to add another point on this, in Acts of the Apostles, she says at Pentecost, Peter did not present any new truth. It wasn't new truth. That all of a sudden the people were like, oh, we're cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved? She said, no, it wasn't new truths. It was the fact that the Holy Spirit had come down. And the same truths preached under the power of the Holy Spirit will convert the heart. So there is a movement of young people that don't want this new contemporary foolishness. Getting away from the Bible. Young people want the word. You tell me we believe this, show me from the Bible. You say that we teach this, show me from the Bible. And you know what we do? We crack desire of ages. And we wonder why young people don't like Ellen White. And Ellen White herself said, if you're going to teach anything, do not use my writings. Use the Bible. And I, I'll tell you right now, I'm the first, I love Ellen White. I've read Great Controversy ten times. I read Steps of Christ every year. I love the spirit of prophecy. Be the first one to tell you on recording, on camera, I will defend Ellen White to the grave. She is a prophet of God. Her ministry is biblical. That's why we accept it. That's how we know she's a prophet, because the Bible told us the test of a prophet. But in this sense, we do it wrong when the Holy Spirit says, the word this is what I need. And once I have the word, then I can bring it into reality. You know, this has always been the case. And as a result, why are we here tonight? Why are we doing this mission in Oklahoma? Why are we gathered here putting resources and people are flying in all over the world? Australia, England, South Africa, I mean, all over the place to come to Oklahoma. Why is all of this happening? And the reason I believe all of this is happening is because the Holy Spirit was anticipating it. Because he's not just hovering over our homes. He's not just hovering over the church. He's hovering over this community which we already said darkness is covering the community. 
because darkness is covering the earth. And in that covering, the Holy Spirit is shaking an eager anticipation for the word to be preached. He is ready to convert the heart. He is ready to take the listeners and to sanctify them by the truth. He is ready. The question is, are we? I'm almost finished. But why? Why is this significant for us? I want to talk about one last thing. And that is this. When Jesus was going to come down as a baby, the Gospel of John described it this way. He says, in the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Not anything that was made was not made by him. There's nothing. If it was made, it was made by him. Then you jump down to verse 14, and the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you have the word was with God, the word was God, and then somehow the word became what? Flesh. How did that happen? Is the question. Go to Luke chapter 1. This is where we're going to end our sermon. Because Mary was wondering the same thing. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 26. This is where we're going to end our sermon. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Are you there? Amen. All right. The Bible says, Now in the sixth, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, <coughs> you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name what? Jesus. Is Jesus the word? Yes or no? Yes. Is he the word that became flesh? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Now, let's go down to verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, anything any woman would say if the angel told her this, how can this be since I do not know a man? The word no is a Hebrew euphemism for sexual relations. I haven't been intimate with anyone. How can this be? How will I have a son? I haven't been intimate. And the Bible says in verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, the holy what? Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. 
Therefore, also, that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. You ask the question, and I ask the question, how did we get the inspired word? All scripture was given by inspiration of God. The Bible means God breathed. And holy men of God were, spoke, were speaking as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. But how did you get the incarnate word? How did the word become flesh? The Bible says it was what? The Holy Spirit. He took divinity and made it into particles. He made Jesus atoms, nucleus, protons, electrons, neutrons. He did that. And you say, how can Jesus become real to you and to me? That is by the Holy Spirit. How can this be, Mary said? He says, by the Holy Ghost will come upon you. So you and I may wonder, as we look at ourselves in the mirror, how in the world am I going to become like Jesus? How are you going to take Christ and make him real through me? How are you going to take this word that I'm reading, that I'm studying, that I'm praying over, and make it a reality in my life? The failures are too many. They are too often. They are too hard. They're too painful. How can this be? And he says, it's not by harder study. It's not by two-hour prayers. Mary, it's going to be by the Holy Ghost coming upon you. And the question is, who does the Holy Spirit come upon? You look at Mary's response in verse 38. Then Mary said, behold, the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. I almost titled this message, How to Make an Angel Leave. How to Make an Angel Leave. The Bible says an angel left, and then Gabriel left. Do you know why the angel left? There was nothing else for him to do. He didn't leave when he explained everything. He didn't leave when he decided, thank you. He didn't leave when he said, you know what, Mary, uh, I think you get the point. I'll see you later. No. You know when he left? When Mary presented herself to God and said, behold, the slave of the Lord. She didn't say servant. They translated it maidservant to cover it up. The word in Greek is doulos. It means slave. See, there's a difference between a servant and a slave. A servant is hired. A slave is owned. You do whatever you want with your slave. This is why we say slavery is an abomination. This is why we fight it. Because when slave masters had slaves, when people say, look, he is a man. Like anyone else, the man would say, no, he's not a man. He's my property. I can do with him whatever I want. And when Mary comes to God and she says, behold, your slave. I am 100% yours. Let it be according to me, according to your word. You see, tonight, brothers and sisters, if you and I want Christ-likeness in our lives. 
If we want to have Christ in us, Paul says, the hope of glory. If we want to be transformed, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm so tempted to go into my message for Friday right now. If we want to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, we got to come like Mary. We got to come like Mary. Every time we come to this word, we got to say, behold, your slave. Let it be to me according to your word. Which is what the word amen means. So let it be. The Holy Spirit comes upon those who do not just make a complete surrender, but who present themselves to, be, to God to be owned by him. Amen. We're not servants. We're slaves. Amen. That's how all the apostles introduced themselves. James, a slave of God. The English says servant. The Greek says slave. We try to cover it up. They weren't saying that God oppressed them. They weren't saying that he forced them or that they were sold. What they were understanding was when Jesus died, they were bought back. It's not a choice whether we are a slave. It's a choice of whose slave we will become. We don't have a choice in that matter. And we don't have to choose the devil to become his slave. We just have to neglect to be Jesus's. So tonight, I want to encourage us to come to Christ, our God, our creator, who when you and I were in the womb, right before we became conceived, he was hovering over that womb with eager anticipation, ready to participate in your creation and mine. Doctors cannot explain how life starts from nothing. The heartbeat just starts beating. Oh, yeah, it's so fascinating. Explain. It just happens. We know. Spirit of God. But if we are to be changed, if we are to be recreated, we must be hearers and doers of the word. Amen. And we must present ourselves to God. Yes, we must present ourselves to God as Mary did. And what the angel said is exactly what happened. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I want to invite you right where you are to pray. No music, no heart-stirring appeals or stories. But just the simplicity of a prayer of faith. I want you to see right now that the Holy Spirit is hovering over your heart with eager anticipation. 
He's ready to recreate us into the image of Christ. To take the word and make it flesh in us. If we would only say to him, behold, I am yours. I am yours. And not just to say it, but to be willing to live like that. I am yours. You tell him. I cannot tell him for you. But you can tell him. And those are the ones that the Holy Spirit comes upon. Because he owns them. He can only work with what's his. And I believe he wants it all. He wants all of you. More than what we've been giving. He wants all. If there's someone here tonight that says, Jesus, I'm ready to give all. I'm ready to be a hundred percenter. In a church, in a world of 50 percenters. I'm ready to give all. Present myself like Mary. Behold, your slave. If that is your desire, I want to invite you to stand as we pray. If that's your desire, between you and the Lord, you've talked to him. You've talked to him. And you want to say, Lord, I'm yours. Father in heaven, you see these who have stood. You see these who have spoken to you in their hearts and in prayer. Lord, we're not looking for emotional decisions because Mary's was not emotional. We're looking for a conscientious willingness for our bodies like Mary's body to be used as a means by which Christ could be brought to the world. And Lord, we want Jesus to use our bodies, to use our minds, to use our hands, to use our feet to present Christ to this community. Revive us, Lord. And we pray that the power of the highest would overshadow us. And that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, you see the hearts move upon this place. This is our prayer. And we offer it up from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.